Well, we've been doing a 316 summer. And uh, so with the 316 summer, remember our goal has been to uh, go ahead and uh, just grab verses out of the Bible, uh, just 316 verses to go from book to book to book. And so, uh, you know, the good thing about that is, uh, well, a lot of times you go to that 316 verse like John 316 and you hit that verse and it's really kind of ooh, comfortable and warm and good. It just really feels good, right? Uh, now, the difficult thing about doing that 316 from book to book to book, sometimes you hit some verses that aren't so comfortable. Uh, they're not so warm and fuzzy and oozy and just make you feel good. Well, guess which kind of verse we hit this morning? Yeah, it's not John 316. It's 1 Corinthians 316. So uh, our title today, if you go to the title slide, our title today is uh, 316 uh, Summer, uh, and uh, Temple Building is our topic, and our verse is uh, from 1 Corinthians 316. It looks like, uh, looks like this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Now, you hit that right away, and it doesn't feel so bad, Right? You hit that right away and you say, well, now, come on, Pastor, what's the big deal on that? That doesn't seem so uncomfortable. Well, hang on, because we're going to get into the whole context of the whole third chapter and really the beginning of Paul's letter to, uh, to uh, Corinth, the first letter he wrote to Corinth. And you'll see that this is a chunk of Scripture that speaks rather harshly and directly to the church. So kind of a word of warning. This message is not going to be a message that's uh, kind of directed to you personally and individually and somehow going to build you up and make you strong and make you an overcomer out there in the world this next week. This is a verse and a, and a chunk of Scripture that is really spoken to the whole church. And Paul is speaking to the whole church when he writes to this church uh, in Corinth. Here's the situation. What's going on in Corinth? Last week, if you were here, you heard about Corinth and the challenges uh, that they faced. Uh, and just give you a little, little refresher course here. Uh, Paul missioned the church in Corinth in about 51 uh, A.D. He stayed there in Corinth for about a year, year and a half. And while he was there, of course, he taught and he instructed and he tried to grow the people in the faith and encourage them and strengthen them and reach more people and bring them into the congregation and reach more people. You know, the things Paul did, right? Trying to grow people up uh, in Christ. He was there about a year and a half, and then he left, and he left Apollos in charge. And Apollos stayed, and he did the same thing. He taught, and he preached, and he taught, and he preached, and he tried to build people up and strengthen people in the faith, keep them going and all that kind of stuff. And then Apollos left because he went to do that somewhere else. And so somebody else took over, and then somebody else took over, and that's the way it goes, right, in congregations. So it happened in Corinth. The problem, the problem that in Corinth eventually, in Paul's absence, they started developing factions. Factions. That's the situation. The situation is there were factions in Corinth, and we can see it from uh, the first chapter, the 11th verse, when Paul's first writing this, this uh, letter to the 
people in Corinth, church in Corinth. He says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are what? Whoa! What's going on in this wonderful church of God? Well, in Corinth, they've decided to group up. They're grouping up and they're forming their own little groups and they're fractured and they're quarreling amongst each other. Now, you know I am a strong supporter of small groups, just not this kind. See, small groups can be really great because they can encourage you and strengthen you and grow you and do all that wonderful stuff as you're working together through the Scripture or praying together. These kind of small groups are destructive small groups. They have decided to group up over and against one another. You can see it as Paul keeps going in verse 12. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. See, these groups are forming, and they're forming around their own interests. They're forming around the interest that Paul taught or the, the interest that Apollos taught or the interest that Cephas taught. Whatever it is, they are forming into their own little groups. They're being fractured in their unity. And instead of being a productive force, they, are be, they have become a destructive force in the people of God in Corinth, in that church. And that's what happens. This is a great word of warning for us as we keep growing and becoming who God wants us to become there will be a temptation for us just like in Corinth to have that kind of fracturing going on to find some issue or to find some action or to find some decision and start grouping up grouping up here and grouping up there and gathering around our own interests as opposed to staying focused on the gospel. All you have to do is just sit for a minute and think and start counting up on your fingers. Start counting up the number of congregations you know, even in this area, who have been formed not because the congregation they were part of was growing and accomplishing great ministry and decided they were doing so well they needed to spin off and satellite a new congregation so they could reach more people and spin off and start a new congregation so they could reach more people and do more ministry and affect more lives, but rather think about the number of congregations who've been developed because a group of people got upset about this or about that and decided to just leave. Think about that. You can start counting them up on your hand, can't you? See, that's the sad reality. The one congregation, how many congregations do you know that are spinning churches off because everything's growing and prosperous and good and they want to reach more people and they're expanding their territory and so they're starting a new church and they expand their territory. So they're starting. How many churches do you know like that? Pretty tough, isn't it? But how many churches do you know whose origins came from a group of people who got upset about this or about that or about something and left. Sadly, a whole lot more. True? 
whole lot more. See, there is always this temptation because the enemy knows. If the enemy can get us to turn in on ourselves, to turn in on ourselves and start quarreling among ourselves and picking our own issues and our own interests and our own lines in the sand and, and our own pride and our own hypocrisy and our, you know, all that stuff. If we can turn in on ourselves and start grouping up and quarreling amongst ourselves, the enemy knows it wins. It wins. And that's exactly what's happening in the church in Corinth. The enemy is winning because these people have decided to turn in on themselves and start quarreling amongst themselves instead of turning outward to extend the kingdom. Paul, in this letter, in this word, as we work up to 316, is going to give us not only a word of warning about it, but show us why this happens in congregations. You ready? Plank number one, building a temple. This happens in congregations because people stop growing themselves. They stop growing in the faith. Uh, look at what Paul says. He says in the, in the first verse of the third chapter where our verse is, our theme verse is, he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual but as word, worldly, mere infants in Christ. What are they? When it comes to their faith, they are mere... You see that? They're just infants. And that's the problem. See, Paul's saying, look, here's the problem. I brought you into the faith. I encouraged you. I strengthened you. I taught you the Scripture. I said things like, you know, you need to get in small groups and grow together and be strengthened. You need to pray constantly. You need to keep your mind on Christ and not the things of the world. You know, I encouraged you and strengthened you. And you stayed infants. See, that's what happens. When people in the people of God in congregations decide for themselves that they are now spiritually mature enough and they stop growing in their faith, it starts to destroy the congregation. When you stop growing in your faith and you say, well, you know what, I'm old enough in my faith. I'm strong enough in my faith. No, never. No, it doesn't work that way. Imagine what it would be like to be 53 years old and still think and act like a teenager. That's what happens in our faith, you see. God designed us to grow in our faith. And yet somewhere along the way we convince ourselves we've grown enough. And we stop. And we stay like teenagers or infants. That's what happened in Corinth. They stopped growing in their faith. And they stayed where they were. And when you stop growing, temptation has the possibility to overwhelm you. Paul says, For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not what? Worldly. You see that? So where are they? Here's the problem. Their mind is in the world. The way they think, their judgment Everything that they're doing as a people of God is over here in the world. Why? Because they haven't grown enough 
in the faith. They stopped. They haven't kept growing in the faith, so they look like Christ, think like Christ, act like Christ, are Christ in the world, you see. They stopped. When you keep growing and you keep growing, when you pray together, when you preach together, teach together, worship together, when you do miracles together, when you're out there in compassion together and changing, you keep growing. When you're in that kind of experience of growing together in that faith, then the evil one has no opportunity to divide you apart. But the key is a willingness to keep growing. That's where Paul's appeal is. Way back in the first uh, chapter, when he starts writing this book, as he gets ready for this third chapter, he sets out what the goal is for the people of God in a gathered community of faith. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Pray together. Worship together. Study Scripture together. Grow together. And it keeps the ability for the evil one to divide you away. You've got to grow in your faith. Now here's the sad reality. George Barnard did a, uh, did a survey uh, and he discovered that 90% of the people out there in the world uh, say that they are Christians. 90% of the folks, when they're confronted and asked about their faith, say uh, that they are Christians. He then spoke to those 90%, okay? And he went to them and he asked them, as a Christian then, could they tell him what Jesus' great commission is from Matthew 28? Could they tell him what, in Matthew 28, what's the great commission? that Jesus gives to his church. The reality is that 90%, 86% actually, 86% responded with the wrong answer or no answer. Said they're Christian, but 86% of them had no idea what the Great Commission is out of Matthew 28. I know some of you are sitting in there this morning going, let's see, Matthew 28, Matthew 28. Right? Maybe that's a place you've got to grow. Don't stop. It went even further. Barnard went to him and he asked him, you'll love this one, he asked him if they knew John 3, 16. You're all going, oh yeah, we did that one. How many weeks ago? Yeah, remember that one. 3, 16. Here's the reality. 75% didn't know it. Can you imagine that? 75% of those people that said, yeah, absolutely, I'm a Christian, I'm part of a, of a fellowship of faith. They didn't know him. He asked them the simple question, can you tell me what the gospel is? Can you just share, tell me what the gospel is? 31% of those people could not share the gospel. See, when you stop growing in your faith and you stay infants, then you are open to all kinds of temptations, and that's true for us collectively as the people of God in one place. Plank two. Not only do you need to keep growing in your faith, but Paul would tell us this morning that we also need to stay on purpose. We need to keep in mind and of highest priority what our overall purpose is as the people of God, as we're together 
in a congregation. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. Just the first three words. Is Christ divided? Where does he start? He starts answering the situation by talking about the unity of Christ. See that? He says, is Christ divided? Wait a minute. You've got to stay one place. Stay right there. One place in Christ. He goes further. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you're baptized in my name. Paul wants to make sure that nobody is out there saying, Hey, Paul is the greatest thing since sliced bread. No, he wants to make sure people are saying, It's all about Christ. It's always about Christ. Stay on focus. Stay on purpose. Stay in the main. It's all about Christ. It's not about Paul. It's not about Paul. It's not about Cephas. He even say that. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Here's what they are. They are only servants through whom you came to believe, which is a miracle, but they're only servants. As the Lord has assigned each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God, God has been making it grow. See, we each have our role, we each have our task, we each have our experience to serve as servants of God. But what's important is not us. What's important is God. Creating the opportunity for God to work in the life of this congregation and in those people around us out there in the world. It's not about us. It's always about God. You remember we read that book by, uh, by uh, Rick Warren in the first sentence in the book, Purpose Driven Life. You all know the first sentence, right? Never going to let you forget this. First sentence is, it's not about you. See that? That's what Paul's saying. Look, you've got to remember this. It's not about you. See, there's always tempting in the congregation to make it about my interest, to make it about what I want, to make it about what I think is right. No. It's got to always be about what does Christ want. You see, in your own life, it applies to you individually. The real question in your own life is not what do you want, where do you want your life to go, where do you think you, know, you ought to be in life. The question is always, what does Christ want for you? What is it that Christ wants to accomplish in your life? What is it that Christ is leading you to? You see, the plank is you stay on focus. Paul would say, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is, notice this, is anything. See, Paul looks at himself and looks, I'm nothing. I'm not important in this whole scenario. See, this is our turn right now. As the congregation of Christ Church, this is our moment. This is our turn in the story of what God is accomplishing throughout the history of reaching people. This is our moment. And there's going to be another generation that comes along, and it's going to be their moment. And another generation comes along, and it's going to be their moment. And if the generations that come along forget us, that's great. But they should never forget Christ. That's what's important. What's important is not about us. It's about making sure that the next generation and the next generation and that this congregation always be about one thing, and that's Christ. That's what's crucial. 
that it shouldn't be about our interests or our desires or our wants or whatever. It's got to always be about one thing. And that one thing is Christ. And it's so tempting to make it about us. There's a great story. You ready for a story? There's a great story about this, this pastor who went off on retreat. And uh, I do that too. What goes off on retreat. He went off on retreat for about three, four days. And boy, he just prayed and prayed and prayed. He just asked God to, to just give him a vision for his congregation. Right? To just make it really clear to him about the direction that the congregation need to go to say Christ-centered and to really make a difference in the world. He just fervently prayed. And finally, you know, at the end of the days, he really felt that God spoke to him. He really felt that God really laid on his heart and his mind a real vision for the direction of the church. So he went back to the church, and they had a council meeting. The council got together, and the pastor was really excited. And, and boy, he met with them, and he just laid it all out. He just poured out his heart. He poured out his spirit. You know, just said, you know, this is what God is saying. This is so clear to me. And he just laid out this fantastic vision of where God wants this congregation to go. And all the council people listened, you know. And then at the end of the pastor's talking, uh, the president of the council said, well, pastor, thank you so much. Let's take a vote on that and see if, if we should go that way. And so they all took a vote. The vote came out 12 against, 1 for. Who do you suppose the one for was? Oh, of course, the pastor. Twelve against, one for. The pastor was just like, oh my gosh, I, I don't understand it. I'm, I'm convinced this was a spirit of God thing. I'm, I'm convinced this is where God wants the congregation to go. I just, I just don't get it. Well, they wrapped up the council meeting, and like council meetings wrap up, uh, they turned to the pastor and they said, well, pastor, would you please uh, say, uh, say the closing prayer? Well, the pastor took on the role of saying the, the closing prayer. And uh, so they all bowed their head, and the pastor just really felt God leading him. And so he prayed these words. Ready? He said, Lord, I know my brothers here don't have the same vision that you've given me. Please, Lord, help them see that this is not my vision, but that this is your vision. Make sure there is no doubt in their hearts and in their minds. And he finished the last word and said, Amen. And suddenly, thunder, clap, lightning started flashing in the sky. A bolt of lightning blew through the window of the council meeting uh, conference room, hit the conference table, split the conference table in half. The council people were thrown on their duffs to each side. Whoa! They all got up. They brushed themselves off. They sat back in their chairs, and the pastor, a little smile on his face, you know, he turned to the council president. He says, well, what do you think? The council president said, well, pastor, that means obviously there's 12 against and two for. Oh, that's not a knock on councils. It is to show you how easy it is for us to get wrapped up in our own interests, see, our own interests. And what we have to do is always open up our minds and our hearts to the possibility of staying on purpose with what Christ wants, what Christ wants. Paul would say it this way, the one who plants and the one who waters have what? One purpose. You see that? They have one purpose. That's our goal in in. Congregations like Christ Church, in congregations like Corinth, Paul is speaking to us and reminding us, stay on task. 
Stay with the important thing. And the important thing is the one purpose of Christ. He even goes further. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. Now get this first. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See that? One purpose. One focus. Stay focused on what really is important. What's important is Christ. Plank three. As you build a temple, you've got to remember what a witness we make, not only by what we do out there, by what we do also in here as a congregation of faith. This is like the worst thing for us. It is for us to be able to come to grips with the reality that the destructive things that happen inside congregations wound people spiritually and push them away from Christ. You know, we work so hard to get people in. We work so hard to bring people to the truth that when we start factioning up and quarreling among ourselves, all we're doing is drive pe- driving people out and we create wounds. One of the excuses that people uh, use when I, I run into them and I talk to them about how great Christ Church is and invite them to come and all that kind of stuff, I've heard it so many times from people saying, hey, you know what, I was a member of so-and-so church and then something destructive happened and they got hurt and they want nothing to do with the church again. It's happened over and over and over again. We need to know that what we do in here makes a witness as much as what we do out there. Paul would say it this way, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the fire. You see, our witness is going to be tested. Not only the witness outside, but what we do inside. And then we get to our key verse, okay? All of that brings us up to the context of what Paul is saying as he gets us now to 3.16 in 1 Corinthians. And here's the big key verse. Don't you know? That's important. Don't you know? He's saying, look, Remember this. You've got to know this. Don't think, don't guess, don't wonder, don't might be. You've got to know this. Just ground, grind this into you, into your spirit. You've got to just know this. Don't forget this now. No matter what's going on, remember this, hold on to this, know this, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in in your midst. See, that makes us all different. That makes all the difference. We remember who we belong to. And we remember that God's Spirit is the Spirit that guides us and strengthens us and pushes us in whatever direction the wind of the Spirit moves us. Not according to our purpose. According to Christ's purpose. Know this. It's a great verse. Know this. Remember this. You yourself are God's temple. Now remember, he's speaking to a bunch of people in Corinth. And these people have been less than the magnificent model of Christianity. 
And yet Paul can speak to them, encourage them, warn them, and say, remember this. Even who you are right now, even with the quarreling going on, remember this. You are God's temple. And God's Spirit dwells there. Nowhere else. Not out there. It dwells where you are. And then, He gives an amazing word of warning. And here's one of those verses in 17 that is a slap up in the head kind of verse. You ready? He just comes straight at it. You need to understand how serious God takes the destruction of His church. This is how serious He takes it. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple... Now, what did you just say in verse 16? You are God's temple, right? The congregation is God's temple. It's where the Spirit dwells. If anyone destroys God's temple... If anyone behaves in a way that is destructive to God's church and tries to tear apart God's church, God will destroy that person. Oh, did you hear that? Isn't that pretty tough? Now, you think he's serious about that? I think he's serious about that. He's just coming straight at it and saying, look, you've got to understand how spiritually sacred the congregation of God's people is. You need to understand that if you actively pursue destroying the people of God in one place, God is going to actively destroy your life. That's serious. That's how serious God takes our staying on purpose as his people in this place. Plank number four, last one. And if you don't get this this morning, if none of this makes sense to you this morning, or you're just sitting there saying, wait a minute, come on, Pastor, we've got to rethink this whole thing, this is the plank for you. Plank four says, get foolish to get wise. Paul is saying, look, if you don't get this this morning, and you're really struggling with this this morning, what you've got to do is just give up all that reasoning that you're trying to do and just get foolish. He says, Do not deceive yourself if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age. What is he saying? Look, you can't take the principles of the world out there and apply them to God's people. You can't take the principles of worldly reasoning and apply them to God's activity. It just doesn't work that way because God's involved. And if you're trying to do that, you've got to just give that all up and become foolish in the eyes of the world because when you become foolish in the eyes of the world and you start thinking the way God thinks, then you discover true wisdom. Do you see that in the verse? Then you become truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And you know what? We are a great example of that. Christ Church is a great example of that in my mind. Uh, think about the rationality of at least nine years ago, 50 people coming on Sunday morning with one service. Who would have thought nine years ago, if somebody would have walked in the door nine years ago and said to those same 50 people, now, guys, here's what's going to happen. About nine, ten years from now, 
you're going to build a 26,600-square-foot facility with a 400-seat worship room with incredible spaces for children and youth and a cafe for adults. You're going to create this, this kind of building that God can work in and really change this whole area. And you're going to be able to reach Cedarburg and Grafton and Port Washington and Mech. You're going to be able to reach thousands, thousands of people. Now, worldly wisdom would have sat down and said, wait a minute, 50 people coming to church, an annual budget of this much, right? But in God's wisdom, that's just what we're doing. You can't apply worldly wisdom to God's activity because God's activity is foolish to the world. And God is the one who makes it work. Paul would wrap it up this way, and so will I. Paul says, all things are yours. Look, remember this. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, present or future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. See, what's important? Step back. When you feel like you're getting brought into quarreling or when you're getting brought into factions or grouping, what you need to do is step out, step back, and remember The big picture says what's most important, we all belong to Christ. We broken people have all been forgiven in Christ. And that's everything. And it's everything to bring that into the lives of new people. All you have to do is meet somebody who needs Christ to remember how unimportant our issues are when it comes to bringing salvation to somebody else's life. Why don't you watch the screen for a minute and meet a young man, real-life guy, who's going to share with you uh, his story and he's going to share with you the difference that a church, a temple of God with God's Spirit dwelling in it, 316, the truth of that verse and why you need to stay focused. Why don't you watch the screen? Let's go ahead. I was like a poster child, you know, for not making it in life. I was a gangster. A gangster just is, is, is blood hungry, not just money hungry, but at all costs, you know, bloodshed, it doesn't matter. Anyone that I would try to cling to, to try to hold on to, it was weird because they ended up getting killed or something, you know. What I ended up doing is just not trusting anyone anymore, so I trusted in guns pretty much. Uh, guns started being my best friends. And I got caught, and I was going down a bad, bad direction in my life. I was on the verge of just losing it. I had a Thompson machine gun, uh, which is stuff you see in museums. So I ended up doing an 18-month sentence uh, for machine gun possession. Right before I got out, my sister called me on the phone crying, saying my mom had cancer. Anytime I ever heard about cancer, somebody's dying, you know, and I just wanted to go off on somebody. In the midst of this, you know, this Apache Indian, this cellie of mine, he says, hey, man, why don't you write, write a poem or something, man, with all that anger you had? Because I was waiting for, the, for, for, for them to open up the gate for, for recreation, and I was going to thank this one guy that really ticked me off to begin with. I wrote down on the, how I felt on the pen, and it was kind of murderous, but, but it kind of felt good because I let it out. Well, when I got out, they invited me to this church here, and uh, I went in there, and, and these guys are all clapping and stuff. And, you know, all excited, hey, we love you, and stuff like that. And I'm so foreign to that, you know, I'm like, man, how do you love me? 
I didn't clap or get excited or any of that stuff, but it was just a, a safe place for me to go to. You know, I just felt like I couldn't think, and the demons were off me, man. I just looked up kind of the guy, and I said, God, I said, man, if, if these tears of joy I see them having and them all excited and the, saying that they love me, and if that stuff is real, man, I, I want some of that stuff. Well, then I just started coming to church more and on my own without no one having to invite me, and and I told God, God, you know, I'm real. I, don't, I ain't fake. I ain't never like no fake people or none of that stuff. So if you're real, God, you need to show me, man. You know what I'm saying? This, this is your time to shine. You know what I mean? He just he just showed me all the highlights of my life when the gun should have went off. This happened, that happened. I should have been dead. And it was weird because tears just started coming down my eyes, man. They couldn't stop. It was like a fountain, man. And I felt the pressure just come off my back. <laughs> and even just for a second, I seen a ray of hope, man. And, and it felt good. And, and I had peace for, for once in my life. And, and I loved it. There was a, a moment, man, where I had some numbers, you know, that I would hold on to just in case this Christian thing didn't work out. One day I was struggling so bad, didn't have no money. The wife was pregnant, man. And uh, I cried out to God with all my heart finally. And I just cried out to him. And just as I did that, I burned those, those numbers. And, and I said, Lord, from this day forward, I'm totally dependent on you, Lord. step back. Isn't that what it's all about? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Tough words come to us as well as warm, wonderful words. This morning we just asked that uh, this word would find a place in our hearts, in our minds, that we could always stay on purpose and focused on Christ. That we could continue to love love each other more and more, grow together. That we could continue to be your people making a powerful witness to the world. We just ask this morning that we could always keep in mind the big picture and that we would be humble before you and just be willing to do what is our turn to do. Whether we're Paul or whether Apollos or Cephas, whatever our role is, that would be a role that brings glory to you and reaches new people and changes hearts. Father, we thank you that you choose us to be your temple that you choose to put your spirit into this very room and into this fellowship of faith. And we ask, help us to never forget, never forget, but to always live up to the glory of your name. We ask this through Jesus Christ. 